Well, good morning, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my humble studio nestled somewhere within the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us on this Monday, October 30th, 2023. It's a crisp, cold, snow-covered morning here at the NBW offices. We didn't quite get the six to eight inches they were calling for, at least not here. Other parts of the region did get that and more. I think we had some parts had over a foot. We had to cancel our services at Plum Creek Chapel up in Denver uh, yesterday, um, but uh, we just kind of hunkered down uh, in our uh, home here, caught up on some work, uh, sat by the fireplace, and it's uh, it's another crisp, cold morning today. But looking forward to a fantastic week of guests uh, this week, and we're kicking it off with my friend and your friend, uh, Lucas Doremus, uh, back on the program to kind of continue his discussion that we talked about last time relating to technology. And we're going to talk about uh, tracking as it relates to the global digital ID that we know from Scripture will be a key part of the satanic uh, reign of the Antichrist and false prophet during the tribulation. We're calling today's program, Why Satan Wants a Global Digital ID. In other words, why is that so important to him and how is he going to uh, to use that? Uh, so we'll bring Lucas on here in just a moment. want to give you a couple of quick announcements and a look ahead at the week. So uh, tomorrow on the program, we've got Mondo Gonzalez talking about why Christians should support secular Israel. Wednesday's our regular world events update with Randy. I hope you had a chance to catch our Saturday podcast this weekend with Randy and Shane. Now, that was a great show. I wasn't really sure what direction it was going to go. I just wanted to give those guys the freedom to share their hearts about technology and warfare and what they've learned and studied and insights that they might have. But it turned out to be just a great uh, great time of, of spending time focusing on the Lord and spiritual matters and, and kind of preparing our hearts. I just love their hearts. If you haven't listened to that, it posted on Saturday. It was called Technology, Warfare, and Bible Prophecy with Shane and Randy. Uh, but so Wednesday, we've got uh, Randy again this week. Thursday, we've got uh, Alex Newman. I love Alex. He's one of my favorite conservative commentators and uh, investigative reporters. He's going to talk with us about how the global elite influence world leaders. And so that's Thursday. It'll be his first time on the NBW podcast. Can't wait to, to have him. And then we'll round out the week Friday with uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Don Perkins will be on the show to talk about Is America in Bible Prophecy? And we're already looking ahead at the following week. We've got some great guests. Uh, Shane Booth will be back with us on Monday to talk about technology, Monday the 6th of uh November. That's next week. But before we get to today's uh, program, just a couple of reminders. Um, we we have a special prophecy night tomorrow night. You know, when we suspended prophecy night for the fall and winter due to my travel schedule, we promised we'd occasionally have special gatherings, and uh, we're going to do one of those this week. So tomorrow night, Tuesday night, October 31st, uh, if you're in the Denver metro area, come out at 6 o'clock. We'll be meeting at Plum Creek Chapel for Prophecy Night. We've got a special guest uh, that will be with us. He was supposed to be speaking at Plum Creek Chapel yesterday, but because of the inclement weather, we had to cancel services. So we decided to move that to Tuesday night. I'll be hosting the event, asking questions. He'll take your questions. A very well-connected uh, believer from Israel. He actually lives in Peru, but he's uh, Jewish uh, and spent time in Israel. Uh, and so uh, growing up there and also high up in uh, the government uh, and military and so forth. So we'll introduce and say more about him Tuesday night. That will be live streamed as well. So if you're not in the Denver metro area, you can tune in to notbyworks.org, click on the live stream uh, button there on the main menu, and that will start at around six or so 
Tuesday night mountain time. Uh, if you haven't yet had a chance to check out uh, Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy, those books are now available for Kindle, as are all of my uh, books. Uh, the Spirit of the Antichrist books are now available directly from Amazon on Kindle. I think it's $9.99, kind of the standard price for a uh, Kindle a book. And we've been having people ask about this for quite some time. We've sold the PDFs of them, which of course can be imported into Kindle. But my understanding, I'm not a Kindle user. My understanding is it's much uh, better and, and much more functionality if you have the native Kindle version. So those are now available from uh, Amazon. We've linked that up at our both our online store and our main website, uh, where you can check out all of our Kindle books uh, directly from uh, Amazon. So uh, this would be a great chance for those of you that were waiting for the digital version of uh, the newest book to to check that out. Uh, you can always go to spiritofthefalseprophet.org to learn more about uh, that book. Uh, well, with that, oh, one more thing. We had another special uh, video presentation that I did Saturday morning early for some folks out in Arkansas. I had a church out there that invited me in to speak uh, by a live stream. Uh, and uh, that went really well. I did a special presentation on how to interpret the news. And um, I've already been asked as a follow-up to come on a different show, someone who watched that and said, hey, we'd like to have you come on and talk more about that. So it's something I've been wanting to put together for a long time. And now we've got that kind of captured on video, how to interpret the news that's posted on our Rumble channel, our website, on our podcast channel is the audio version. So check that out. Well, today's uh, October the 30th, so I went to Proverbs chapter 30 uh, this morning, and uh, and and the first uh, few verses here, actually verses 4 and 5, really uh, caught my attention. Listen to what Agur says here. This is uh, the proverb that some proverbs that he wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit. Proverbs 30 verse 4 says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? You know, uh, and, and Lucas would be a great one to comment on this, too. He's written a book about Proverbs. But wisdom in Proverbs is essentially having a proper relationship with God. It's having the right perspective of knowing who God is and, and by comparison, knowing who we are. And so in this passage, when it says, what is his name? It's basically saying, do you fully understand him? When it's it's using all of these metaphors, uh, you know, who, who's ascended into heaven, descended, gathered the wind in his fists. Obviously, God doesn't have literal physical fists like human beings, but it's these are anthropomorphisms uh, talking about just the amazing power and majesty of Almighty God. And uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, knowledge of a of a of a God's name, a false God's name, implied an understanding of his characteristics and, uh, you know, being close to him. And so here we have God's word saying, uh, do you know his name? Do you know the name of the Lord? And then I love how it says, and what is his son's name? In the New King James, son is capitalized because, of course, that's a reference to the eternal uh, son of God, Jesus Christ. In fact, this is a key reference to the eternality of the son. God eternally exists in three persons, father, son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, and the fullness of time, as Hebrews tells us, God sent forth his eternal son to put on human flesh and represent the fullness of his glory. So everything that God is, Jesus Christ is, and everything that God and Jesus are, the Holy Spirit is. I love what John 3.13 says, 
uh, when Jesus was uh, talking to Nicodemus, he says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, and that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And you know, uh, Lucas, Jesus is in heaven uh, today, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God after he came to earth to take upon his shoulders the sins of mankind and pay our sin debt at Calvary. He rose again the third day, defeating death, hell, and the grave, and now he offers freely to all who will accept him by faith the gift of eternal life. It's the gospel. It's the good news of salvation that he paid a debt he didn't know because we owed a debt we could never pay. And now anyone who in simple childlike faith trusts in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation uh, can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. But this Jesus who came to pay that sin penalty is now sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. It's the throne in waiting. He's He's eagerly waiting. You know, I talk a lot about how we should be eagerly waiting for the return of the Lord, but, you know, he's eagerly waiting too. He wants to come back make all things right. He he wants to fulfill prophecy and defeat the devil. Uh, he's chomping at the bit, so to speak, so to speak. But he's certainly there. And uh, someday he's he's coming back and what a day that will be. So I just wanted to encourage folks at the beginning of this week to think about the majesty and glory and wonder and awesomeness of Almighty God and his eternal Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. He is uh he is uh, just uh uh, you know, just amazing. I mean, you think about uh, what the proverb said there. He's you know, he he alone can gather the wind in his fist. You ever try to gather wind in your fists? You know, it reminds me of my little granddaughter uh, Zoe, who when when she sees bubbles, likes to try to grab those bubbles, but they disappear before you can really get a hold of them. You can't really cr- grasp them, but God can. Uh, he he bounds the, the binds the waters like a garment. Uh, you know, we can't control the waters. I mean, we can through geoengineering, we can try, but we didn't speak the world into existence, and we don't have ultimate power over the weather the way God does. Uh, and the ends of the earth, um, it's all its all one spot for God, and His name is Yahweh, and His Son's name, Jesus Christ. So I hope that encourages you. When things look down, remember, we've got an amazing God, and so that's when we need to look up. Well, Lucas, thanks so much for making time for us today. We're talking about uh, more about tracking. We we touched on that, I think it was last week. But we want to talk about this idea of a global digital ID and why Satan wants a global digital ID. So welcome to the program and take it away, my friend. Yeah, thanks, JB. And yeah, part, um, well, when we talked a week, two weeks ago, whatever it was, uh, this is sort of a sequel to that, not necessarily a part two. But at the end, we started mentioning kind of the the problems with the current tracking methods and and why they probably aren't quite as good as maybe the the elite want them to be. And so this is a sequel to that. And we're going to talk about how a global ID solves a lot of those problems. Uh, but first, you know, what is ID? Well, ID is just a way to say identity. Uh, what is identity? Well, it's who you are. You know, you mentioned in Proverbs, it talks about the name of God. I always think, and I know this doesn't encompass everything about what name means, but I always think of ability. You know, when we mention God's name, it has a lot to do with what he does, his power, his capability, who he is, you know. And again, I know that's not everything, but that's tend I tend to think like that when I think of God's name. And so uh, identity, you know, again, it's who you are. And so when you're tracking identity, it's a way to identify who you are. And so, but first, uh, 
I, I never want to stray too far from what scripture says about any of these topics. Uh, we, you know, we never want to venture into an area where we're only paying attention to current events or something like that. Because as you just said, JB, you know, scripture is the foundation and it is the encouraging. It's the way we know God work, wins in the end, you know, all those things. So I always like to start by this. So one of the first things about identity, well, really, it has to be the first thing about identity is what image we have as humans, as people. And so that's in Genesis 1, uh, 26. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created him. So what is the, in the image of God? Boy, well, JB, you know, you could do sermons and sermons about that. You know, a very short list. Uh, we have consciousness, uh, not like the animals. We have a free will. We have an eternal ongoing existence that is either going to be in heaven or hell after we die. Um, I also, two things that are kind of interesting to me about this passage. The first thing God says about making man in the image according to our likeness says, let them have dominion. And then he, you know, lists out everything. As in, God always created man to rule over the rest of creation. And what I'm noticing, I don't know if you notice this, JB, but I'm noticing a wider use of the term human or human beings instead of people and mankind. And it's a very subtle language change, but I think what it's intended to do is change what God says about mankind and people. We're kind of dehumanizing ourselves by calling us just humans. We're sort of making ourselves just a part of every other animal that we see, and it's changing that. And may maybe I'm pointing out something that doesn't need to be there, but it's just a language shift. And when you see language shifts, oftentimes that can be something important. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely it's important, and I talk about that extensively in my chapter on transhumanism in in the new book, uh, where and I give several quotes about how the Luciferians are talking about redefining what it means to be human. So they they really are focusing in on that term, but they're also marginalizing it as you as you suggest, and and it's it's subtle, but they they want you to know that we're just another algorithm or organism that you know, easily can be transcended. So yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah. And I noticed that over the past couple of weeks, I've actually started to notice it in prayers of people that are referring to us as humans, not as people or mm. believers or, you know, so when that language starts to invade in the church, that usually perks up my interest. So it's subtle. I'm just pointing it out as something I notice. It's a bit anecdotal. You know, I realize that too, but it's something to keep your eye on yeah. probably. Um, what else about identity? Well, JB already gave the gospel, you know, but a big thing about our identity is in Jeremiah 17, 9, probably one of the clearest spots uh, where it gives the identity of man. Because while we are created in the image of God, that image has been marred by sin. Um, and in Jeremiah 17, 9, it says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. And then something about how what God does, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So if you ever hear people say about um, people that, well, are people basically good or basically bad? You know, you'll kind of hear that in the philosophical realm. 
uh, people are all bad. <laughs> They're not basically one or the other. They're all bad. And that's what scripture says very unequivocally. Uh, however, we've got a remedy to that. You know, in Romans 5, uh, verse 8, it talks about how God loved us. And it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't have to. Uh, he did it because he loves us. And when we didn't love him. And uh, I, sometimes I've heard somebody say that, uh, you know, God knows all the worst things about you and he still died for you. <laughs> you know, how, how wonderful is that? And then uh, how do you receive that uh, uh, payment for your sins is can't say it better than John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Doesn't say you have to work for it. Doesn't say you have to commit or surrender or anything like that. It says you have to believe. And so one big thing about our identity is you are a believer or you are a non-believer. There are segments, denominations, maybe I can say, of the church that don't like categorizing people into those two categories, either believer or non-believer. But that's absolutely what the Bible says. You're one or the other. Uh, you're not a little bit believing or you know, a little bit not believing. You're either a believer or not. And that's based on whether you've ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Couldn't have and, said it better. And, and we want everybody to do that. I know, JB, we preach the gospel and we, we want everybody to believe. We don't want anybody to go to hell. Mm. Amen. Um, um, but then, uh, so there's, so now, again, you could talk about identity for a long time. Uh, one thing I like to bring up, I did a study about this a while ago. I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about uh, freedom and censorship. And JB, I know you're well acquainted with that topic of censorship. And so I started doing some word studies on freedom and what freedom is in the Bible. And in Romans uh, 6, 6 and 7, it says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So before you're a believer, you're a slave to sin. You don't have freedom to do anything else but be a free slave to your own sin. But when you get saved, you get freed from that sin, mm. sin. However, and then in verse 22, but now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. So what was interesting to me is we're humans are slaves one way or another. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. There's nothing else. You know, the any kind of free autonomy we might have is going right back to sin. <laughs> so I would encourage you when you think about freedom and those kind of things, be a slave to God. Uh, that's mm. how almost every New Testament epistle starts or ends, you know, with the author saying something about how they're a bondservant of God. And uh, I would encourage you that if you think about freedom and who your identity is, whether you're American or anything else, be a slave to God. That's where you want to be. Yeah, if the freedom is the freedom not to sin. Before saved, we, before we were saved, we're sold under sin, and uh, even the righteous acts that we do are filthy rags compared, you know, to, to God's righteousness. But at once we are born again by faith and have the righteousness of Christ in us, we're no longer bound under sin. We still have that that old sin nature, that fleshly nature that's trying to draw us away from God. But uh, we're not bound by that anymore. So it's really the freedom not to sin, right? 
Yeah, and and I guess I point that out because in America we have this First Amendment right that gives us, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of other things. Well, it's the freedom to not sin, what you just said. You know, freedom isn't free to do whatever I want. If it's freedom to do whatever I want, then you're being a slave to sin again. I mean, That's it's, right. It's, it's really that simple. Um, and now something else about identity uh, that I want to point out because it's been in the news Um there is an Israel or Gentile dichotomy. And in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, it talks about that and who we are in Christ and how that impacts us. In verse 11, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that would be Israel, made by in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Paul goes on here to explain how the church is a one man combining Gentiles and Israel. But I don't know about you, JB. I still think there's a distinction because Paul will talk about his uh, you know, brothers in the flesh and there's Israel and God still has promises for Israel. So one thing about identity is there is a physical lineage from Abraham, that's Israel, and everybody else, that's the Gentiles. And that's actually important to realize biblically about our identity. Yeah, it really is. In fact, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because it gives me a chance to uh, to promote something we're going to do this coming Sunday. So between now and the end of the year, uh, rather than start a new series on a book of the Bible because we just finished Nehemiah, I'm going to take uh, the six or seven Sundays that I'm going to be here between now and the end of the year and focus on Israel. And I'm going to talk this Sunday about Israel and God's plan of the ages. And I'm going to show folks straight from Scripture how God has a plan uh, from the beginning for Israel, and he's not through with Israel. So, yes, in the church today, as Paul explains in that passage you were just referencing in Ephesians, uh, he's torn down that you know that that dividing wall, which was a literal wall, by the way, in the first century in the temple, uh, and where Jew and Gentile are at one in Christ, one body. But that does not mean that the the, the unconditional promises given to Israel uh, are somehow uh, abrogated or or, or throw, set aside. God still is going to keep His word as He always does. And uh, in fact, we talked about what a beautiful morning it is, or I did. Um, you know, the Bible says in Jeremiah, the same passage you just quoted, the same book you just quoted, that as long as you can see the sun, the moon, the stars, and the heavens, you know God's not through with Israel. He's going to give them their kingdom on earth someday. So, yeah, there's a, there is there is a Jew-Gentile identity like you're talking about there. It doesn't mean that uh, God loves one more than the other. We're all the people of God, but He has a different function, a different purpose for us in His plan of the ages. Yep, and I point that out as part of identity, not only because of what's in the news and to kind of give you a prompt to talk about it, <laughs> but it is, th this is not, you know, this Israel-Gentile distinction, this is not pie-in-the-sky theology that, you know, professors debate on campuses. This distinction has a real impact on how we live our life and how we view what the future brings. And so if you're kind of out there and you're thinking, well, it kind of doesn't matter, it does, because it's a lot of eschatology and a lot of very practical living matters when you think about the distinction between Israel and Gentile. Amen. So, uh, so now, uh, what does God know about our identity? Um, I'm going to turn to Psalm 139, and there is tons and tons of passages about what God knows about us. 
But Psalm 139 is probably the most concentrated part of Scripture when it talks about this, or one of them. And so I'm going to read the first uh, seven verses. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? So God knows everything and he is everywhere. Well, JB, throughout Spirit of the False Prophet, isn't that kind of the point you're trying to make, is that they want to know everything and know where everyone is? That's exactly it. In a nutshell, it's the whole the whole rise of the global technocracy that I'm talking about in the new book is for them trying to be God. Satan is not God. He does not have uh, d- divine powers. He has supernatural powers. But as I've delineated elsewhere, there's a distinction between divinity and supernatural. But he's not God. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. And so he's trying to have that kind of perfect knowledge. He wants to know everything. Uh, and God already knows everything, um, and uh, but Satan doesn't, and so that's that's what they're trying to use technology for. And that's uh, I love that passage, Psalm one thirty nine, written by David. Uh, just a beautiful description of 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 who God is as He relates to His highest pinnacle of creation, mankind. So, uh, yeah, excellent uh, excellent reference, and of course that. I'm sure leads right into why Satan wants a global digital ID is because that's one way that he can try to approximate this type of absolute knowledge about every human being. Exactly. Yeah. And in uh, what you're saying, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14, I believe, says that I will be like God. Mm. Well, there we go. So if God is like this in 139, Satan wants to be like it too. Mm. Uh, One other verse in here, verse 16 uh, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all they all were written. The days fashioned for me, and as yet there were none of them. Mm. So God planned our birth, and he planned out our lifetime. Well, doesn't that kind of sound like the things they want to get us into school very, very early? They want to pick our career for us very, very early. They want to get us out of the parents' hands. Uh, and you mentioned the... Uh, Uh, transhumanism. They want to start planning how to have a baby and what uh, features they'll have. Well, I'd say that sounds a lot like what they're trying to do. Yeah, not only that, but, you know, he says just a couple of verses before that, you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Another thing this tells us is that before we're born, we already have identity. We are already made in the image of God. We are, uh, you know, a a person, and therefore that completely destroys the the whole argument uh, of uh, abortion, which says, well, before you're born, you're not a human being. You're protoplasmic rubbish or some type of organic material. No, no. In God's eyes, you are, uh, you know, the highest pinnacle of creation. You are a person, uh, as He says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Verse sixteen, as you read. So. Another, that's just, a, you know, when you read the Bible, and the Bible is the only standard for your beliefs, attitudes, and practices, it makes a lot of the philosophical arguments that people spend so much time and energy on really moot, because either you believe the Bible or you don't. And, and the issue when it comes to the sanctity of life is not, 
you know, uh, you know, how that life came into being, you know, rape, incest, life of the mother, those types of those are all side issues that that distract from the main being. The main being, main point being that life begins at conception, and that's a precious, innocent human life. Yeah. And so I hope I always, you know, and I know there's people out there, JB, that they hear you talk about they and the luciferians well who are they and they're really out there and if we if this was really true well wouldn't it be a little more obvious you know what what things like that all the things that we see the world going toward whether it's a global idea or anything else you can find the reasons for why those things are being sought in the bible and so that's what i encourage you to do if if you doubt some of this you know grand conspiracy kind of thing Go read your Bible and you will find all of that in there. Now, we could maybe disagree about details or how long or exactly. You know, we could disagree with that because Scripture doesn't lay out those exact details, but all the ideas are there. Yeah. And let me interject a couple things real quick before you get to the to the, you know, the main subject at hand here about why Satan wants a global digital ID. By the way, you've laid an outstanding foundation here biblically for helping us understand why these end times prophecies are are relevant and why they're coming together. But first thing I wanted to mention is uh, you mentioned uh, YouTube uh, or you mentioned censorship. I wanted to mention we've started for the first time in almost three years reposting some of my conference messages to YouTube. Uh, And here's why. We're not going going to be posting, at least not yet, all of my stuff, but we still have a, a, a huge following on YouTube, even though we hadn't posted anything new for years. Um, and I think our listeners know the reason for that is we got you know kicked off about three years ago. 11 different videos of mine were, were censored and taken off, uh, canceled. But anyway, we just realized that in, in the t- t- days like this where time is short, uh, there's an urgency to the hour. There are people who may not ever go to the Not By Works website. They may not know we have a Rumble channel. They may not be following our podcasts, but they they spend a lot of time on YouTube. And so we thought, well, let's try to reach that group uh, as well. As you know, Lucas, we try to give the gospel in every message I give. So I say all that to say my messages from uh, Texas and, and Flint and Rockwall, my message from yesterday or from Saturday uh, in Arkansas, all of those have been posted uh, to our YouTube channel. So if you have any friends or family members that uh, prefer YouTube, uh, this is an opportunity to kind of introduce them uh, to Not By Works Ministries. Um, but I also wanted to just comment real quick on your what you said about how some people find it hard to believe what we're teaching in my uh, three-volume you know, set, Spirit of the Antichrist 1 and 2 and Spirit of the False Prophet. Uh, a little anecdote. I got a, a really a sweet note from a lady yesterday, and then she followed up again this morning, uh, uh, kind of asking for further clarification about my comments over the weekend about Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House. And uh, I, I want to reiterate, he's not who you think he is. And, uh, you know, this is just a classic example of them, uh, once again, leading Christians uh, down a path to kind of convince us that, you know, that we have a voice the same way they did with Trump and Pence. But uh, the, the, the emailer said, you know, basically, look. You know, uh, what can you give any more details? What, why, why, why do you say that? And so I wrote back. In fact, I'm going to email her back after this program uh, and just let her know, hey, I didn't mean to be so so terse because I sometimes I, I feel that way. Uh, but I uh, basically what I wanted to say was, look, how do you know that he that that Mike Johnson is a godly Christian man who likes to pray and read the Bible? How, how do you ask yourself how do you know that? 
I guarantee you it's not because you did a deep dive into the research and talked to his friends and relatives and people who've worked with him throughout his political career. You know that because that's what they want you to know. That's what the mainstream media uh, is telling you. Most people didn't know Mike Johnson existed until two weeks ago when suddenly he becomes the speaker, or a week ago, whatever it was, when he becomes the Speaker of the House. And I'm not criticizing. I didn't either, honestly. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, when you when you take the time to go back and look at his past, you just you realize that. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put that out there. I want people to do their own research and, and study it. But ask yourself. Why do you, why are you even asking the question? Why are you saying, well, wait a minute, I thought he was a godly guy. Well, why do you think he's a godly guy? The only reason you think that is because that's what you heard on Fox News and CNN and New York Times and the Washington Post, and everybody's beating that that drum right now. So it's my contention that, and I think there's evidence for this, that they're once again, as we get ready for the 24 election, trying to draw in conservative evangelicals, lots of whom are starting to awaken to the fact that this is fake. It's, it's you know, it's it's Democrats and Republicans. That's all it is. It's two sides of the same coin. Uh, and they're awakening to that. Well, they're trying to, to suck back in a lot of these conservative Christians into thinking, that oh here's a guy that that's great and what's what's ironic about that Lucas and I know I'm on a bit of a rant here but um, it's Monday uh, so a lot <laughs> happens over the weekend that I feel like kind of gets bottled up and I've got to talk about but what's really ironic is that I remember back in 2016 when Trump was uh, selected as the nominee and he chose uh, Mike Pence as his running mate and I can't tell you how many conversations I had with people saying oh Mike Pence from Indiana he's the godliest Christian guy in the world he's a born-again believer who loves Jesus, and he's just going to be awesome. And doesn't that tell you something about Trump, that he would choose Mike Pence, you know? And here we are, what, seven years later, and all the Trump supporters cannot stand Mike Pence. They think he's the devil incarnate. All these Christian Trump supporters that, that uh, uh, you know, extolled the virtues of Mike Pence now think he's an evil man, because, of course, he wouldn't overturn the election. So it's just funny how easily we take our cue from the mainstream media. So as things evolve over the next year, I encourage people to always ask the question, and I talked about this uh, Saturday in my presentation on how to interpret the news. I encourage you to check that out. Always ask yourself, why are they telling you these things? Don't, you know, don't, certainly don't assume it's true, but I'm not suggesting you automatically assume it's not true. I mean, you know, sometimes things are true. I mean, not everything is part of a conspiracy. But at least ask yourself the why question. And, you know, why do you think, what makes you think Mike Johnson is a, you know, card-carrying Christian in the first place? And when you answer that question, then you'll start to find out some other things uh, uh, that I've uh, I've suggested. So, um with that, let's uh, let's get back to the topic at hand. Why Satan wants a global digital ID? Well, one thing before I remember going to Tea Party rallies <laughs> when when that was a thing back in the day, and I can say some of the greatest Americans, God-loving Christian people, go to those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. oh, sure. And so, just you know, as as those people are around, yeah, ask yourself the why question. Because yeah. we know we know you're out there. We know you love God, and we know you love this country. So do we. Absolutely. And I, I used to speak at Tea Party uh, events. Uh -huh. I've spoken at several of them through the years back in, in Illinois, your home state. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. Again, not being critical, um, you know, uh, just uh, saying, look, it's so and I'm still there. I'm not I'm preaching to the choir to some extent because I, I still make the same mistake. You get you get brought in 
to to allowing them to frame the narrative, to frame the discussion. Yeah. But if you go from the starting point, in my presentation Saturday, I start out with 10 preliminary principles that everybody needs to remember. Go back and listen to those, you know, even if you just listen to the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you'll get those 10 preliminary principles before I get to the heart of the matter of what questions to ask when interpreting the news. But one of those principles is assume that it's not about what it's about. Uh, just assume that from the starting point. And 90% of the time, you'll be right. You, you'll you'll be, you know, have a good percentage there. So uh, yeah, Mike Johnson, uh, it, just a distraction. And uh, I'm sorry, I wish that we had a, a true representative somewhere inside Washington, D.C., who could be a person of influence that could really make a difference in this world, but not going to happen. Sorry. Yeah, well, and I figure if you're spending more time reading the news than you are reading your Bible, it's probably a little upside down. Yeah. Not that not that Christians shouldn't be aware of current events. We should, um, but make sure we're reading our Bible, keeping our heads in our Bible too. So yeah, okay, let's get back on this global ID thing. So in part one, we talked about some of the problems with the current tracking methods. I want to elaborate a little bit on that. Uh, JB, I'm going to turn your audience into IT people. Uh, by the end of this and you know all they really need to know is if you're having problems just turn it off turn it back on again that's you know 75 percent of your fixes anyway so anyway <laughs> little it jokes there okay yeah yeah so we talked about you mentioned the idea of this Bitbucket, you know this grand database where all our data is tracked and uh, one thing about it is just because data exists doesn't mean you're able to use it and there's a big difference. Here's the example. Uh, so if you have a big room full of file cabinets, uh, you know, and they have a bunch of folders of information in them, and those folders are sometimes within other folders and things like that, all in these file cabinets. If you're too young and don't know what a file cabinet is, just imagine there's folders and folders and folders nested in each other on your computer, okay? <laughs> now, not beyond that, let's imagine these file cabinets are not labeled very well. So I don't necessarily, you know, I go up and read the label on what's in the file cabinet. That's maybe not exactly what's in there or maybe not only what's in there. So when I open up a file cabinet, I'm seeing multiple type of documents. Let's say I'm reading education records. Let's say I've got tax records, credit card purchases, receipts, all that in one file cabinet. Not only do I have all these different kinds of I, pieces of information in the file cabinet. They're also organized by alphabet. However, sometimes it's organized by your first name. Sometimes it's your last name. Sometimes it's a nickname like JB. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and so if I look at this file cabinet, well, I have all the data in this file cabinet, but finding it is another story. Because if I'm looking for a specific piece on JB Hickson, it could take me a long time because it maybe it's under J, J, maybe it's under H, maybe it's in the tax record file cabinet, maybe it's in the education records because maybe there was part of my the FAFSA or whatever. Yep. You see what I mean? How all the data is there, but actually retrieving it, able to use it, that's a whole other story. So given that these bit buckets and things are out there, that's kind of how I view it. Now, I'm not saying it's that disorganized. I'm just giving a picture here of the difference between having data and being able to use the data. Yeah, no, so, I I can remember well because I'm I'm older than you, and and uh, and so I know a lot of our audience will resonate with this. Um, back in the day, you know, you'd have multiple file cabinets. When I used to have an office when I was in academia uh, in the early days before technology was really catching hold, certainly digital technology. 
you know, you were kind of judged, you know, the, the more file cabinets you have, the more wise you were considered. You had all your sermon notes and your lecture notes and your illustrations and all file cabinet after file cabinet after file cabinet. Now you can't give file cabinets away, you know, yeah. but, but one of the things that was always a struggle with me, and it kind of relates to digital books as well, was that, uh, you know, you never knew where to find stuff. It wasn't like you said, you just you weren't sure how you chose at the time you filed it to file it. You couldn't remember. Same thing with books. I would be looking for a book on my shelf. At one time, I had thirty five hundred books in my library, which is not, you know, huge. There are people that have a lot larger libraries than that, but it was pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, respectable size library. And I, you know, would be looking for a book, say, by Charles Stanley. Well, did I file that in the S's in the general theology section? Because a lot of his books are mm -hmm. theological, like eternal security and things like that. Or did I file it in my Christian living section under the S's? You know, where did I file it? So, yeah, the digital technology, of course, now with, with my digital library, which has over 7,000 volumes in it, I can just, with two two or three keystrokes, key just type S-T-A-N, and boom, all of my Stanley books start to appear on the screen, and I click on them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I can definitely relate to what you're talking about. Yeah, so that's kind of how I view it, because that's, <laughs> that's what I've seen in data structures. Now, not only that, multiple devices are used by multiple people. You know, everybody's got a phone or maybe two. Everybody's got a tablet, maybe more. If you got a computer, you still use that. You also have your work computer. Now think about what happens when you change a device. Well, if I'm trying to look for data on a certain iPhone model, and all of a sudden I change what model from an 8 to a 13, whatever they're up to now, well, now all of a sudden, where do I file that new information? Does it go, now do I switch it? And if I did switch it, how do I retrieve all the old information to make it the same as joining with, with the new information. Uh, I've got multiple formats of information, speech, text, uh, and, and the code, like with cookies we talked about, they're on different platforms. You've got your medical data out there. You've got your social media data out there. You've got your financial data. They're all in different databases in different areas, and it can make it different to go through that. Now, how many different IDs do we have? Let's talk about first how to actually use an ID to gather organized data. So I think everybody can pretty much be aware of what a spreadsheet is. You know, there's columns, and in each of those columns, there's a certain type of data. And then you've got rows, you know, of, you know, if, if it's got a first name, last name, you know, I've got Lucas in the first name, Doremus in the last name column, and then whatever other columns, I've got those information. Okay, so that's what it is. Well, if I've got an ID which is an identifier of that column, say Lucas, I can go to another spreadsheet and use that same identifier to find the same information about Lucas. Let's say that Lucas is attached to a number, so my ID is two. So I can go to another data table and use that ID of two and then retrieve all of that information. And in the IT world, that's called a relational database. There's a relationship of that ID in one table or spreadsheet compared to the ID in one table or another spreadsheet, and it holds different information, but I can get the same ID and get the same person or whatever I'm trying to get. So it's an identifier. It's a way to find you in where you're referenced in any spreadsheet, right? Yep. And then a database is basically just a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of tables that you're trying to relate with an identifier. Think about how many IDs we have. We have a phone number, sometimes more than one. 
how many emails do we all have? You know, most people have a lot more emails than one or two. We have a driver's license. We have a credit card, more than one credit card, debit cards, all that. We probably have more than one bank account, plus any, you know, 401ks, things like that. You have your social security number. You also have memberships like Amazon or Costco. I mean, think about how many identifiers we have as people just going about our day in the digital world. It's a lot. So we start to think about that. We got all these IDs that we got to know. We've got to know where to search for those IDs in the data. And that data may or may not have what we want because we're not really, you know, we might not be able to find it real easy because maybe the identifier changed or got messed up. And you think about all the problems. Mm. Wouldn't one identifier solve all that? Mm. And in their mind, it would. It would make it a lot easier. So how does this global digital ID solve the problem? Well, it's one ID to track behavior. I no longer have to know credit card numbers and social security. I've got one ID and I go search for that in all the places and it pulls up all my records and then I just start filtering. I say, I don't want this data. I don't want that data, but I want this data. And that's something AI is very good at, by mm. the way, just to throw that out there. Uh, it would also solve the one data repository problem. You know, right now I might have to go to this database and this database, and I'd have to, you know, join those together. And then I have to join that with this one. And this database not might not have this piece of information that this other one has, blah, 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 blah. Well, if I can put it all in one place and I have one ID, boy, that makes it a whole lot easier to go get that information. Not only does it make it easier, you know, like some of the things you talked about in your book, I now have one way to enable or disable behaviors because I can search by one ID, search a purchase history and reference that to something else to see if I want to allow uh, certain behaviors. You know, if I want you to be able to buy something or not be able to buy something, I can with one ID, search your purchase history, search your bank account and your, you know, savings and your taxes, all that, and see if I want to allow you to purchase that. Wow. Uh, see if I want to be able to allow you to get on, say, Kickstarter or something like that, or maybe a ministry website and donate there. Maybe if I can know all the websites you give to, I don't want to allow you to go to notbyworks.org and give to that. And if I have a global ID, it makes it a lot easier to do something like that because in order to give to notbyworks, I have to enter that ID, which now goes and finds all my financial records and sees, do we allow him to give notbyworks? Yes or no. Wow. I mean, that's such a, uh, I know you're still in the midst of it, but it's such a excellent summary of exactly what they're trying to do with control. Remember, from Psalm 2, Satan is trying to take away God's control, to throw off the cords of God's control, while simultaneously usurping his control, his sovereignty, uh, which he'll never be able to do perfectly. But he, he, he wants control. Satan wants to control everyone on earth. And you're exactly right. This, this global digital ID allows them to control virtually everything. Right. I mean, they can they can stop you from from traveling. They can stop you from getting medical attention. They can stop you from buying groceries. Uh, they can stop you from you know, from from, as you said, accessing ministry websites or any site that they deem to be not politically correct. So, wow, that's that's really profound the way you kind of laid that out there. 
Well, and you think all it takes is for if I want to go to a website, all it takes is for some control over the internet to say, input your ID in order to access this website. Now, that's really not far-fetched because there's a lot of websites or, you know, YouTube has it when you watch certain videos. What is your date of birth to watch this video? So you think about it, it's really not a stretch to say, if I want to access this content, enter your ID. Yep. I mean, that's not far-fetched at all. Uh, now, also this, all the formats of the data, we talked about, you know, I can listen to podcasts, I can email somebody, I can text. Well, now they're all synced to that ID. So instead of having to go to Google Podcasts and Apple Music and Spotify and try to get their data for my username, which is an email, which might be different between all three of those, I can now have to put in one ID and I've got everything I listened to in the, all the podcast. And, and isn't that kind of what they're pushing us toward, funneling us toward? With now in just in the last year or two, when you go to create a new account, they're trying to give you the option. Well, you can just use your Google credentials or you can just use yep. your Apple credentials rather than the, the old fashioned way of using your email and password. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was going to talk about later about using different IDs. Yeah. Don't use your Google account for everything. It is aiming towards this goal mm -hmm. of getting you used to thinking, yeah, it is just easier if I use my Gmail for everything. Mm. Well, I'm not going to argue that it's a convenience. That is more convenient. But at what point do our conveniences kind of outweigh the things we should or should not be doing because of biblical implications? Yeah, no, I mean, convenience right. is 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 just that. It's only a convenience. It's more convenient for me you know, not to plow my drive Saturday like I did with my plow. Uh, but it would have been I would have come back to regret it because we would have been trapped and not be able to get out of our house or it's more convenient not to you know clean out the gutters but when they start to back up and cause a leak in your house that's that's when you're going to pay for it so convenience is not always the best way to go yeah and so it, some of this stuff you know not only is like the you know sign up with your google or your apple or your facebook whatever it is when you sign up for websites You'll hear references to this. I don't hear it too often, but I've heard it enough that it's starting to become a thing, the right to identity. Hmm. You know, you'll see groups out there that say, you know, children have a right to identity. Or you'll see Bill Gates say things like, you know, there's 85 bajillion people that don't have the right to their identity to access certain services or things like that. Well, once be identity becomes a right that gives government the open door to now regulate it. So if I have a right to my identity, well, now the government has to protect my rights, correct? So now we have to start having laws and regulations about your identity, and that's how the government gets involved. Yeah, you know, this. I talked about this uh recently in, in several messages, including the ones I did in Texas, but this whole, uh, you know, cybersecurity protocol, zero trust, where they, they're treating everyone like a criminal, including you, and they're forcing you to jump through multiple hoops, ostensibly to prove that you're really you. That's the way they get you. So we're just trying, we're looking out for your own good. We're making sure you're not getting hacked. But really, 
you know what what it is is it's conditional access it's someday they can use those same protocols to say well yeah you're you but we don't like what you had for supper or we don't like your carbon footprint or we don't like you know your social credit score so therefore you don't get access to your bank account so it's all and that's going to be a whole lot easier for them to do is it not when they have the global digital id it is now zero trust in the business sense is is an interesting topic because it used to be you know before remote work and things like that once you got into the building and working we didn't the it department didn't care who you were you came into work you logged on to your computer you have access to whatever you have access to we didn't care well as soon as work started going to the ipad tablet uh phone world it's we started discovering this well now that you can be anywhere i can't necessarily trust you what network you're on what device you're on just because you have your you know email address that logs in mm. so security wise that's where they came up with the idea of zero trust is i'm not going to automatically trust anything now that's in the business world that can be a good thing because sure. you know one one phishing attempt and your business can be shut down and so now, do all security companies actually do what zero trust is? Not necessarily, but that's the idea in a business world. So it's a good thing. Yeah, but, and it's, yeah. It, it's a good thing even individually. I mean, it's it's good uh -huh. to know that it's going to be harder for someone to steal my identity and hack me. But mm -hmm. I'm just co commenting that that technology, which I know you'll agree with, is the same type of technology that that can control you if, if they can give you conditional access for good reasons they can give you conditional access for bad reasons absolutely and the the multi-factor like you've explained in your book yeah it can be a pain when i have to check my email or wait for a text and i may or may not be able to get it can be a pain but there are some security things that are good about that so that's just another one of those technologies that shane talks about yeah. it can be a good thing but you're right it can also be used as a bad thing yes yeah. Um, now, I, I, I kind of go here. Uh, so is this ID when it talks about, you know, in Revelation, the mark of the beast, is that what this ID thing is? I think it could be. Now, I think that the mark of the beast is going to be a physical mark just because of the Greek words that is used as in is it going to be something on your hand or forehead that I'll look at you and know you have a mark. Now, does that mean it's not going to be something else? I think that's very possible. Does that mean it's going to be a chip? Does that mean it's going to be in the ink? I don't know. But there is going to be some way to identify you. And the mark of the beast is a very likely candidate for how they're going to implement that. Yeah. And physical mark and some type of digital tracker are not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I'm, yeah. Yeah. And so and, and now beyond that, I don't think just given if the mark of the beast is using some kind of technology, which I think it probably will, I don't think everybody's going to get it at the exact same time. I think it's going to be a process. I think now it may be a very fast process. We're talking maybe a couple of weeks, but I don't think it's going to be one singular event where everybody on the world immediately lines up and gets their mark of the beast, their global, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen like that. Hmm. Uh, but that's just my personal opinion. I can't prove that. The Bible doesn't go into detail on that. So that's fine. Um, anyway, wanted to throw that out there in case people were thinking global ID, mark of the beast. It will probably be connected. Yes. That's, that's just my guess. Um, now, 
how do we fight this? Now, we're going toward the mark of the beast. We're going toward a digital ID. Uh, we're going toward you know, the tribulation. God's already ordained that. It's not going to change. But as you talk about a lot about preparedness is something we can do. There are ways we can still avoid these kind of things. So the Holy Spirit as a restrainer, um, you know, that's talked about in Second Thessalonians. Uh, it talks about how, where is it, verse 7? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And given that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us when we're believers, there is a sense in which the Holy Spirit restrains through us. And I'm not going to say that's the only way he does it. God is God. Um, but I, I think there's a sense in which we, as vessels of the Holy Spirit, um, he uses us. Does yeah. that make sense, JB? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you're in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 5 through 7 there, uh, or verse 6. He says, do you know now what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time? So, you know, right now, the presence and work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through the church is the restraining influence. Uh, sometimes you'll hear people refer to the restrainer as the Holy Spirit, and the New King James actually capitalizes the H, he who restrains, because it's understands that it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. But you'll say, pe people will say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to be taken off the earth at the rapture. Well, that's a little bit of a misstatement because the Holy Spirit, of course, is God. He cannot, he's everywhere present at all times. He's omnipresent. So the Holy Spirit will certainly still be here, but what will disappear is his influence uh, through the church, to the extent that believers are yielding to the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, to the extent that we are walking not after the flesh but after the Spirit, Galatians 5, we are making a difference in this world. You know, we are, uh, you know, we are hedging against evil. We're, you know, you know, no one will have any idea until we all get to heaven how often a believer acting under the conviction of the Holy Spirit has preempted some type of evil, dastardly deed. Uh, so, uh, but when that's gone, I mean, it will literally be all hell uh, breaking loose. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for detailing that. You did a much better job explaining it. So, <laughs> so yeah, we are a restraining influence because of the Holy Spirit through us. So one thing I would encourage here in a way to fight it is make your data unreliable. There is a difference between bad or wrong data and reliable data. Now, I'll give, I'll give an example. Let's say today, JB, you ask me, who are you going to vote for? And I say Trump uh, today. Now, tomorrow you ask me again and I say, oh, I'm going to vote for Kamala. Well, because, you know, who knows really, right? So then the day after that, you say, who are you going to vote for? And I've said, hey, I listened to one of JB's podcasts. I'm not going to vote for anybody, right? <laughs> okay, now... Over three days, I've held three different opinions. Now, any one of those three could be wrong, or all of them could be wrong, you know, whatever. But what I do know is that that was reliable. On that day, I knew who I was going to vote for. Even if I was wrong, I knew who I was going to vote for. So reliable data is really what they want. So if I leave my phone at home and I go somewhere, what is the data telling me? The data is telling me I'm at home, but reliably, where am I? I'm somewhere else. Mm. So that's what I mean about make the data unreliable, not necessarily wrong or right. Just make it unreliable. 
And that can be one way to fight this. We talked about randomness the other day. Yeah. yeah. Go out to some random websites that don't fit your patterns. Uh, there yeah. are ways to make the data unreliable that we should shoot for that yeah, by that's... the way are not illegal <laughs> right, right <laughs> yeah, yeah, illegal yeah. About we don't want to have to bail anybody out uh, by no, the way yeah, i would yeah. be happy to bail you out and i hope you do the same <laughs> for me uh someday we, we we probably have need to have some bailout people in our hip pocket because the way things are going we may find christians uh uh rounded up at some point but uh mm-hmm. no that's that's good advice yeah i mean do do things differently get outbreak free of your pattern i've been really thinking a lot about that lately as i see things unfolding uh you know, uh, as Jan Markell often says, you know, when you think things are falling apart, they're not, they're really falling into place. And that's true. But but the, from a human perspective, they really are falling apart. It doesn't change the fact that we need to be uh, prepared, you know. Uh, so uh, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, trying to to, to just, you know, untether myself from my mobile devices more often. Uh, in fact, uh, just a small microcosm, it's really nothing but a drop in the ocean compared to what needs to happen. But, you know, yesterday, again, um, we we had no service at Plum Creek, so I had an unexpected day at home. We we have to travel about an hour to get to our church from where our, our office and home are with Not By Works. So uh, not going on Sunday was a was a you know, gave us a whole whole free day. And since it was so miserable out there, I got up early and and plowed the driveway. I think I mentioned earlier I did it Saturday, but it was actually Sunday. It felt like a Saturday. Um, but and anyway, and so I just decided to be almost all day yesterday to leave my phone plugged in uh, in the bedroom. Uh, and I was outside. I was in the family room. We played a game of Catan with the family. We watched uh, some football and just enjoyed the day. And it was kind of nice, you know, not to have that yeah. Phone. I leave mine on vibrate all the time because I'm so deaf I can't hear it even if it's chiming. So I just I have it on vibrate. It was nice not to have that phone vibrating all day every time I got a, a message of some kind. So yeah, that's good advice. I put mine under the couch. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, pull pull up a YouTube video on your computer and set your phone there and let it listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's just little things that you can do. Again, make it unreliable. It's not wrong or right. It's unreliable is what we're shooting. So for. so pull up a YouTube video on quilting and put your phone <laughs> light or something and say, and then the and the NSA guys that are listening to our bit bucket, they're going to be like, what in the world is Hickson doing? I didn't know he was into quilting. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, I mean, just the, little things like that. Again, if we're thinking about our restraining influence, you know, that the Holy Spirit does, those are little things that matter. Yeah. Uh, we brought this up already. Use different IDs. You know, don't use a Google account for everything. Um, I will admit, nobody come to my house. I have a notebook where I keep all my passwords. Huh. I do not save passwords and usernames anywhere on my computer or on the Internet or anywhere. They're in a notebook. What now, about those encrypted password safes that are... Uh, you know, allegedly by awake and third party sort of anti-establishment people. Do you trust those? Those are good, except again, you got to realize they're not unhackable. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) We have, you know, there have been, was it last pass, which is a pretty popular one that they got hacked a little while ago. And the reason they got hacked is because one of their employees brought their computer home and was doing, or they were using their home computer and they used the not LastPass as their password manager, and the hacker got it. Wow! So well, I tell you, it's we got hacked just uh, this past week. We had an issue. I was looking at my credit card statement and noticed eight different uh, between twenty-five and fifty-dollar charges on Dutch Brothers coffee. 
Now, I have the Dutch Brothers app, but I hardly ever use it. In fact, it had been so long since I'd used it, it, was, it had been automatically taken off on my phone. I had to reinstall it. But we only use it when we're on the road and there's no other coffee shop nearby. I, I confess I have a weakness for uh, lattes. And so uh, when we're on the road, we'll we'll stop at convenient coffee shops when we stop to get gas. And so that's why we had it. Well, we had associated a credit card with it so that we could simply you know pay with the app for convenience, like you talked about earlier. And, and it wasn't that someone hacked my credit card. They hacked that app and they were helping themselves when I downloaded it and, and, and logged into the app. It had a whole different name on it. Someone had just assumed my identity, changed the name in the app and was helping themselves to coffee over the last couple of weeks. And uh, so fortunately, our credit card stood behind us and they reversed all the charges. And then we talked to Dutch Brothers and got the whole account deleted and, and all of that. But yeah, it's nobody's immune, are they? No, nobody is. And the reason nobody is unhackable is because people are involved. Mm. And so everything is hackable because people are involved. So I'm not telling you not to use those password managers. I'm just saying nothing is 100% secure. Yeah, good point. So what, whatever you want to do. Uh, and to that point, uh, what you mentioned about using the apps, I would encourage you to use cash. Now, JB, you know, as well as I do, when they print that money, the, you know, people are making money off that interest and it's a Federal Reserve note. It's not even real. I get all that, but cash is also not trackable. Right. And so I would encourage you to do it. Which I is why they're trying to get rid of it. You know, they, yep. they want to get rid of it so that they can track it. Mm -hmm. Now, at the small level, and I see this just where I go to shop, you know, there's more self-checkouts. Um, I'm good with that because some, a lot of times I go into stores and I've only got two or three items. It's nice to just be able to go up to the self-checkout, check out a couple items and then leave because it's quicker, right? But I've noticed more and more that those machines will break and say, you know, card only. Mm. Well, if nobody's using cash, what encouragement is, of, is there of that store to fix the machine to accept cash if nobody wants to? Yeah. So this is one of those practical things. If you go up high enough in the agenda of what's going on, they want to get rid of cash down to the very local level at your local grocery store. Does that store manager really care whether it's cash only or only card? I would guess no. But yeah, he, what they yeah, what they are going to see is if nobody uses cash, they'll go, well, yeah, it's easier just to have card only. We're going to go to it. Yeah, at the local level, they only care about what their customers want and what's going to, you know, give them the most customers. If they start losing customers because they're not allowing cash, I bet you they'll start allowing cash again, right? Exactly. So that's what I mean. Again, we're the part of the restraining influence here. If you use cash, you're encouraging at the local level to say, "Yes, cash is still valid. I want to use that." Yeah. And I think we should do it every opportunity we can. Um and then I mentioned this too. Yeah, don't take your phone everywhere. You know, 20 years ago, I remember in high school was when I, my dad first got a cell phone and, you know, he would give us to take in case of emergencies. Before that, nobody had, well, I know there were bag phones, but that was pretty rare. You know, nobody had that kind of stuff. And the world still turned. <laughs> yeah, no, they did. So, you know, it's funny. I remember uh, my first cell phone. It was in the early 90s. I was pastoring a church at full time. It was way before we started Not By Work. So we just had one daughter, our oldest daughter. And the church, cell phones were just invented or, I mean, becoming available to the general public anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, the church wanted me to have a cell phone for emergencies only. 
And it was mainly, wow. it was really a car phone. They didn't even call them cell phones. They called them car phones. That's what it was. And it was great big. You know, it, it, it you could stand it up on a, uh-huh. on a table and it wouldn't fit in a cup holder, wouldn't fit anywhere. And I still remember the first call I got. I'd only use it. I would only have it turned on when I was in my car. And I was going to make a hospital visit in a different town. And uh, one of my deacons called me on it. And I was so caught off guard. I pulled over. I mean, this was way before they had laws about cell phone. Nobody had cell phones. And I pulled over on the side of the road and I figured out how to answer it. And I still vividly remember etched in my brain having that conversation on this giant thing. It was so heavy. I had to change phone, change hands every two minutes just because my arm got tired of holding it. Uh, but yeah, what a what a change it is now, isn't it? Yeah. And you can, you know, and I used to, you know, we used to do, and people on the video will be able to see this, you know, you used to put your hand up to your phone with your thumb out, your pinky out. Yeah. Well, if you ask kids now, they just do it, you know, yeah. kind of oh, like they're holding funny. a phone. Yeah. They don't, they don't do this anymore because that's not what a phone is shaped like. Well, and, and folks that are listening to the podcast, he's using his, his pinky and his thumb. That's what we used to do, holding up to our, our thumb to our ear and the pinky to our mouth to simulate using a phone. Now it's more like a fist because they're so used yes. to holding a cell phone. Or they'll just hold their open palm. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what a phone is shaped like. You know, it's just, it's interesting how things change. So wow. that only to say, yeah, don't take your phone everywhere. Um, go read a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just little, these little things that as we don't feed into this data and this idea of a global idea, as we don't do those things, that is a restraining influence. Yeah, let me ask you this. It just popped into my mind. I don't even know if you can even get these anymore. But before cell phones, people had pagers. And yep. if there was an emergency, you would get a beep and it would, uh, it would, I guess, have a number that you were to call. And so you'd go to the nearest phone, pay phone or whatever, and you'd call. Are those trackable and are those even still around? No. So the way they're around is they're in the medical community. Okay. I don't know what it is, JB, but the medical IT infrastructure, so to speak, is behind. Huh. And one way they still use pagers in a lot of places. They still use fax machines. <laughs> um, and their computer systems are really old. And the reason here's the reason why those medical uh, software applications, those don't get updated regularly. Hmm. So you might see a medical system only being used on Windows XP, which is roughly 20 years old now, and it's never been updated, but that doctor's office still used it. Huh. So they're not updating any of their computers because they still need that Windows operating system oh. that's 20 years old. Now, that's somewhat of an extreme example, but go into a doctor's office, and if you're aware, of, you will inevitably see Windows 8 on huh. their computer, which wow. is five, seven years old. Huh. Um, so yeah, that stuff is being used in the medical community. Huh. But I bet you so. can't, can you buy pagers anymore? Oh yeah, you can get them just like you can get flip phones and track phones. Yeah. You oh, can I guess still so. That. Yeah. All right. You can still buy Blackberry if anybody remembers that. You know, I remember Palm Pilot. I definitely, I wasn't uh-huh. a Blackberry guy, but I was a Palm Pilot guy. Yeah. Blackberry, you can still buy them. But <laughs> so, so those are, if you think about what the Bible says about our identity, why Satan wants a global identity because it allows him to be like God and then some ways to get around it. Uh, we would do well to heed do a lot of those things. Mm, mm. So that, that that's what I've got, JB. Amen. Well, Lucas, outstanding as always. I just I feel like I could talk to you every day and just learn immensely. And and it always is convicting too because there's things I know that I need to do, but it's like life is going so fast right now for us at Not by Works. It's just 
I can't even slow down. I feel like I, there's never a moment when I'm not working because even when I'm not at my office, I'm I'm thinking about things or responding to people. So it's just, but that's no excuse. I think that the closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more urgent it's going to be and more important it's going to be for us to heed some of the, the excellent counsel you've given us on uh, today's program. So thanks so much. We'll uh, be thinking about what you want to talk about next. Uh, uh, there would be a revolt if we didn't have you on again very soon. So uh, people have gotten used to to hearing you, Lucas. So thanks so much. God bless you. And for the rest of us, um, for the rest of you, again, check out notbyworks.org. That's your go-to place for all of our videos, podcasts. I had someone email me this morning that uh, we had met in Texas, and uh, he was saying, hey, I'm trying to figure out where to listen to your podcast. And uh, and I get it. It's it's confusing, especially if you're not uh, accustomed to listening to podcasts. But notbyworks.org is the one-stop shop for podcast videos, devotionals, all of the, you know, our events, our upcoming schedule, our live stream. And don't forget, we have a special Prophecy Night live stream tomorrow night, 6 o'clock Mountain Time. If you're in the Denver metro area, come out uh, in person. I've got a very special guest speaker, Pastor Cesar, who I'm going to be uh, kind of leading a Q&A with. You'll have the chance to ask him questions. But that's tomorrow night, 6 o'clock Mountain Time. You can get to the live stream by just going to notbyworks.org and then click on the live stream button. The Kindle books are now available for Spirit of the False Prophet, Rise of the Global Technocracy, as well as both Spirit of the Antichrist books and all of my books. Uh, for that matter but, matter, but these three latest ones are newly available on Kindle directly from Amazon. We've linked up to it from our store. You can still get the PDFs if, if you prefer. Sometimes people want a PDF for reasons other than using a Kindle. But if you want, uh, if you use a Kindle, uh, you can now get the native Kindle uh, version. Check out my How to Interpret the News uh, video from uh, Saturday. And uh, if we can ever help with anything, feel free to reach out. Thanks for praying for us. We love you guys. We love our audience. You guys are so encouraging, and it's uh, it's just really a blessing. So don't forget, tomorrow we've got uh, Why Christians Should Support Secular Israel with Mondo Gonzalez coming up later this week, Alex Newman and Don Perkins. So God bless everyone. Have a great week. <music>